Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, where we take a sideways look at modern business, talking to founders and entrepreneurs about the problems they face and how they solve them. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Philippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Woohoo! And a quick reminder, if you like what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Now, there are a few big subjects out there that are incredibly important, involving very fast and frankly, extremely confusing and hard to get any clarity on. And one of these subjects is sustainability. It's everywhere. We talk about it all the time, how we all need to do something about it. But what the hell are we supposed to actually do? If you're a small or medium-sized business trying to grow, keep your customers and staff happy and generally get through the year without having a nervous breakdown, working out what your business should or shouldn't be doing about sustainability or indeed becoming carbon neutral is incredibly hard to work out. The information isn't clear, the answers are confusing, and so we are on a mission to cut the bullshit and get to the facts of what businesses should be doing. How do we go from being plastic, single-use, energy-wasting producers of hot air to super clean, funky, sustainable businesses running off hot air? And so joining us today to help us understand more about this huge subject is Austin Sims, our client, co-founder, and chief operating officer at Dayrise a new approach to sustainable shopping online, making it easy and enjoyable to buy goods that do good. After 20 years spent working in senior marketing positions at major corporations around the world, Austin had a desire to use his skills to address climate change. With a strong marketing background, he believed that putting the power in consumers' hands was important to make real change. He recognized that the first thing that we needed to change was consumer access to information to make better decisions, which is why he co-founded Dayrise in 2021 and developed the Dayrise Score tool. Austin believes commerce and sustainability are linked, and ultimately, businesses need to be a major catalyst for addressing climate change. We're in very good company indeed. Austin, welcome to the podcast. Wow, what an intro. Thanks, Andy. So, Austin, what's been keeping you busy of late? Uh, trying to build a business and change the world, Andy. Well, fair answer. Okay, that's, that's a good start. Yes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about this business, about Dayrise and what you're trying to do. Yeah, so we, we started Dayrise a couple of years ago and it really, I think like most businesses when you start them, it starts from trying to solve a problem for yourself. The story goes, I was on holiday with my co-founder and our children were playing uh, on this big floating device in the pool and we got into this big debate with the plastic floating device about whether that was sustainable or not and we realized pretty quickly that we were debating opinion and not facts and you know, we recognized there's just not enough information out there for consumers to to understand and make better informed decisions about what is sustainable and what's not. So that started the journey. We, we pulled on that thread a bit more and we realized that the reason why there's not enough information for consumers is because brands themselves don't know. So to actually assess the impact of product is really time consuming and expensive. So that's what we set out to achieve. And we've actually developed some technology that helps brands understand their impact and then helps consumers make better decisions. And, and what's the answer in relation to the inflatable? <laughs> Is it sustainable? Um, gonna, I'm going to go yeah, on a limb and not, say, no, it bloody isn't. No, it's not. But again, it's just about choices. I think what we're designed to do is not make people feel guilty about what they do, but just provide information because shopping itself is not bad. It's just we need to do it within certain parameters and shop better. So we just need to give consumers better information just so they can make better choices. So let's wind the clock right back to how you first started in business. What was your first proper job? 
Yeah, so out of uh, out of university, I, I worked in an advertising agency. What did you do at university? I studied marketing at university. Um, so marketing up there and, and realised I wasn't very good at that after two years. Um, I think it's so very rare right. to be brilliant at marketing. You probably are good at it. I just think it's you have to be a genius. You know, like Don, who's the guy that does the boxing? He's a genius at marketing. Don King's Don King. <laughs> you know, he's some sort of bastard too, but he's a genius marketer. You, you say know. that? That's probably libelous. Anyway. Well, and he's a scary man too, so apologies, <laughs> Don. Keep it real, but you know. He's got some He's got some friends. But I think, uh, and then, and then um, so what, what I wasn't very good at more specifically was the advertising part. And then I and then I moved to Nike after that. And Nike's I spent most of my career in marketing, Andy, um, would you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I think be, being on the advertising side and, and on the client side wasn't something I was too good at. So I spent most of my time at Nike and, and started in Australia and then got moved over to Europe and have sort of been living in Amsterdam ever since. One of the things that struck me was it's important to, yeah, have the government support and stuff. And Netherlands is kind of, you know, a bit of a... I think it's a leader in sustainability. It's always one of those countries that are mentioned as better than Britain, you know. That's so. I don't really. Are, are they a leader in sustainability? I think at its core, it is. It is quite sustainable and progressive. Um, and the, and it's just set up with some core things, isn't it? Like the bicycles. It's flat reclaimed land. I mean, that's sort of like from the from the day dot. You're kind of on the back foot. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like you know, yeah. you've got to be sustainable. You know. So they, yeah, they're pretty progressive, and I think they're certainly from a government point of view in terms of um, investment. Uh, so we we were at CES recently, which is the big consumer electronics show in in Las Vegas, the biggest in the world. And we went over there with the Dutch government, and their whole pavilion was about technology for good. So to actually be invited to go by the Dutch government had to be not just a great technology story, but something that was actually changing the the, the world for good. So I think, like probably most governments, they're they're embracing companies that are actually trying to change the way the world operates for, for a positive effect. Whereas your government's just partying during yeah, lockdown, Yeah, let's obviously. just not even go there. I mean, yeah. did make me laugh reading in the newspaper this morning. They were like, there just seems to be, you know, a lot of drinking going on. It's like... That's what I thought happened in number 10, especially it was stressful. I believe Churchill was sitting there with a bottle of whiskey, like, you know, I'd fuck, I'd be drinking. I believe Churchill drank a bottle of champagne every morning in his bath. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, the stories get more and more outrageous, but yeah, he drank all day. He was definitely on that ADAD alcoholic spectrum. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm not advocating <laughs> it, but yeah. So what within this journey, what, what's been your biggest uh, cock-up then? Have you had other startups that have gone gone tits up? Uh, yeah, 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 I'm happy, Andy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have. I've had some that have gone well and some that haven't gone well. I think that the the probably the, the one that sticks out is we I started a, a vitamin supplement business and we actually put it in a in a um, in a drink format. And this is probably more true. This is back in Australia, actually. This is more true for countries like Australia and the US more than like the UK or, or the Netherlands. I mean, vitamin water is huge in the US, huge because, right. you know, yeah. It's bullshit and got nothing in it, yeah. most of it. But. Well, exactly. And we, we were the opposite. So that's a long format sort of, we call that a refreshment drink with a little bit of vitamins. This was a real shot where you had all your vitamins and minerals in it. And it was, uh, so it was designed to be that one shot that you needed for your day and you could just get on with the rest of your day, um, which was a really good insight. Uh, and... Um, so we created a product, which which was a good product, um, but we went really big and went really small very quickly. So we actually sold it into the biggest supermarket in Australia. We actually exported it to Selfridges in the UK as well. So you might you might have bought some over the journey. What what was it called? It was called Vitamin Fix, and it was um, all your all your vitamin shots in one bottle. So it was a, it was a really cool concept. 
we were probably we, we weren't humble enough. I think the biggest thing I learned from it was just a degree of humility, to be honest. I think we were a lot younger back then and had sort of big corporate backgrounds and thought that anything we do would, would be successful. So we didn't listen to enough advice and thought we could do it all by ourselves and we came unstuck um, pretty quickly after some, some initial success. But the initial success is the problem. You know, that is the problem because you, you're you young, you you, you, you you can't work it out anyway. You know, you don't, you have the opposite of imposter syndrome. It's all arrogance and whatever. But people get lucky. You know what I mean? They do get lucky. And then you start getting lucky and you think, oh, this is it. You know, it's, it happens in any industry. So, yeah, I mean, there probably was a tipping point. I think we all confuse luck with talent, don't we? Um, so, yeah, I think we, 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 we learned that lesson pretty early. Did you just expand too quickly? Too quickly, yeah. Too arrogant, didn't, didn't listen to people that say grow slowly, um, couldn't control our cost base, couldn't manage our cash flow properly. And then, Did you have problems with the manufacturer too, the volume supply or anything? Or? We had problems paying the manufacturer <laughs> after a while. Well, that, that is a classic problem in a goods pro- company that if people haven't analysed cash flow, don't understand. If you're successful, you've got to buy more bottles and more stuff ahead and you've got to be buying a lot and it's going to take months to make it. And so you have this curve that goes up that even if you're selling, if sales are great, that's sort of bad news. You have like a massive cash problem that you kind of like, and you're too young to borrow it. You're not Coca-Cola, you can just rock up at the bank and say, can we have a couple of extra 10 million because we've slightly underestimated. You can't hit where you might be able to hedge it. You might be able to go to someone and say- You might get some investment. Might, yeah, you've just got to be like, but you underestimate the investment because then if it sells again, then you need 10 times again. And it's like <sighs> vertical, you know. So we were, too, we were a bit too arrogant to take investment. We thought we were uh, too good. You thought you'd bootstrap it. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is, and this probably relates back to the early conversation, the three of us as co-founders were all friends, but we had this, exactly the same background. We were all, we're all from a, a, big, a big marketing background. Oh, wow. Three, uh, three uh, you know, alphas or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and we didn't have someone with finance experience or someone with production experience. And so going back to the start of Dayrise, that's you know, one of the big things yeah. that we didn't have all the skill sets. I recognized that. And so rather than trying to fake it, we made sure we brought in with complementary skill sets. So that was that was a big learning that we took. Yeah, shows you totally learned. Yeah, make sure that you've got that diversity at a founder's level to make sure that you've got complementary skill sets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can I could imagine the meetings then. So the three of you were having the meeting about what the advert would look like, and you were smashing it. You were like, "This is good," and it was genius. You got your you got your marketing <laughs> spang on, and then the finance meeting. There was no one there. We didn't have one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got this bloke, Bob. He'll do it. You know. There wasn't enough Excel spreadsheets going yeah. around. That's oh, cool. bloody Excel spreadsheets. And what do you find most uncomfortable about, I guess, being in business or about your job? People's always a challenge, isn't it? I think t- hiring talent is always tough. Let's talk about the war on talent, which is... Um, which is yeah, wow. Oh, tell us about Jesus it. Jesus Christ, it's off the charts. It, yeah. But I think for me, probably to be honest, if, I, if I'm really honest, I think the hard, thing that I find hardest is we're in a really significant growth phase. And so things are happening really quickly. And, and you know, it's startup world is a certain mindset, right? You need to be willing to really dig in. And so find that point where you can push people hard enough without actually pushing them over edge because I find that the hardest because we're all, we've got people that work four days a week, which is great. So we try and have a very flexible workforce, but we we do need to get things done and finding the right people that will buy into your mission and sort of almost run through walls for you. Um, that's difficult because we don't want to break people. But it's never going to be quite as important to anybody else as it is to the, the four of you. That's the thing. 
Well, you, the interesting and maybe the slightly controversial point about that is you almost ask it for people who are just completely driven, they'll do whatever. You know, if, if you look at how China's able to do it, you know, if you bring someone from India or Sri Lanka, you know, who's, who, who do anything for this job, they will work night and day. They don't have a set of rules that we do about, well, employment law and customs and you don't work at the weekend and, you know, work-life balance to some cultures is like, what? And then you get into almost a sustainability conversation about where's the ethics. But if you ask the person in Sri Lanka, do you want to come and work in the Netherlands or more money, you know, a better life and everything, they're like, yeah. Yeah, sure. Do you know what I mean? So they're happy, you're happy, but, you know, you'll probably, you, you know, you'll have their commitment on a level you would only expect from a founder. So it's it's um, it's a really curious competition in the way where we, we, I mean, how much, do you, do you try and keep your workforce in office or are you very remotely spread in where you harness talent from? Yeah, well, I mean, we, no, we, we, most of our team is based in the Netherlands. We do have some in the UK, um, but we're, we're pretty centrally located. Um, and we, well, we do have an office, but I mean, that's very rarely used these days. I think uh, we've talked about it. Our team wants it, so we have it. But um, Is that because of lockdown you haven't been in or culture's changed? Yeah, I really think that culture's changed. Um, maybe particularly for younger people, like it's, it's really quite different. Um, but but I think there has been a, a big shift where people don't want to go to the office. And I'm a bit older, so I think I was pushing back against that a little while. So I think um, I do think you're better together when you are in the office. Yeah. Um, but I think I think people really prefer that flexible lifestyle. So we, we should. I mean, you're in Amsterdam. Everyone's a ten minute bike away. You know what I mean? In London, it's like fucking going into works. You know, it's a mission. You know, it's like I don't know what is it twenty. 30% of my waking time. Do you know what I mean? I don't I want to work it out. I genuinely can't comment given that I live 15 minutes away. Oh, yeah. You're, 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 you've nailed yeah. it. My going into work is very easy. <laughs> I think the commute's a big thing. Like, so, yeah, we, 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 we're very lucky. Not everyone lives in Amsterdam, some of them live outside, but it's not a big commute. I think certainly in places like London where people were commuting five days a week. That, that's a real unlock, I think, to get that time back. Yeah, and you know, it's not, it's not just time. It's, it's money. Like the number of, of people who've realised during lockdown that they spent a considerable amount of their salary on travel expenses. I sort of slightly defend this because I find any if you've got any period of your life that you're wasting, you're the idiot, you know? And and travelling to work, whatever it may be, you have these incredible pieces of technology and stuff. So like, you know, I just travelled here and it was really useful bit of my day just to like have a moment and then I could I made two phone calls on my way to the tube and then on the tube I could do some reading or whatever so I don't know commuting's never bothered me that much I really miss it because I used to I used to commute quite a long way and I used to read books and sit on the bus or whatever for a good 40 minutes and read my book and now I hardly ever read what, what I find problematic is, is so I think the young, in a way, they want to come in and party. They want to be in town. They want to be with each other and stuff like that. But it's once you've got the kids, I think there are particular periods, like the early period of having a kid, that, you know, I've really appreciated not having that travel so I could work harder and be more with my family. You know, it's sort of family time becomes so crucial. So I think it's just, it's very age dependent. Um, the problem for me is that if the young want to be in and yet all the people who are sort of in their forties with families are going, you know, quite like a bit more home time, depending on their exact life cycle, then you sort of have this training problem, you know, there's sort of this mismatch going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know a lot of the big companies here are struggling with it. Um, and some of them, 
at a CEO of one of the companies, a big company, they've mandated that um, you have to be in the office three days a week. Um, but not just in any office, but in the office in which you were hired. Because what happened with, with COVID is a lot of people moved back. So if you're from Spain, but you live in the Netherlands because your job's there, you went back to Spain. So their workforce is scattered back to where they were. And they've, they've made this decision now that not, not, they were putting it in place and they've paused it now, obviously, because COVID hasn't gone the way that we hoped it would in terms of the vaccinations. But their policy is that you're going to have to be in the office at least three days a week and in the city in which you are hired, not necessarily the city that you live in. Aren't they just going to get loads of people resigning? Yeah, that's, and that's what they're wrestling with. Yeah, exactly. Particularly at the moment when they can go out and get another job, probably. But you kind of got to make a stand too, if that's what's important to your business. I would say an uncomfortable truth about business is the employees just going to think from their perspective and they're going to say, well, why? Why? I can do my job perfectly. And they're not you know, whatever that company's position is, it may well be like, yeah, you can, but we actually want you to do it in the office because we need other people to see and hear you do it so they can learn how to do it. And we can't solve that. Or, you know, communities, like communities are a tricky one because why, why should I be part of your brand and your business? You can, you need, companies need to have the power, the ability of people like Apple do to turn around and go, look, if you want to be part of us, if you want to like hold, you know, be part of our community and therefore we have some loyalty and tribalism and we're trying to do something together, then we need, these are the things you need to do. You need to do our crazy stance, dance, you know, and you need to come to the office or whatever it is. So, but employees, they, they even you saying that a company's mandated to do that, I imagine the the sort of the, the view in the press and stuff is like, oh, this is, you know, or a lot of people, oh, this is outrageous or something. And it's like, I don't know, you want to build good companies, you need good communities. You want to be part of that community, you need to do certain things. It is really important. When I was a junior lawyer, I learned everything I know from one particular partner who took the time to sit down with me and tell me how to do everything. And I realised, you know, after about six years that we'd sit down and go through a document together and we would have, would have written exactly the same thing next to exactly the same bits when of When I document. met you, I was but the learner. Yeah, now. you know, because you that's the only way as a junior lawyer. You can read till you, the cows come home bits out of, you know, the axe or the your statute. But until you sit next to somebody and they tell you how to do it, you don't learn really. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that's it. I don't think... Rather than mandating it, I think businesses need to find a way to put value in it, don't they? Make people yeah. want to come in. So whether that's through learning or through whatever. Out of rewarding the other, people um, in some way. Rewarding people. Um, and what are, what are the things they get by coming to the office in terms of facilities? I think there needs to be a way that people put value in it because they can get access things in the office that they can't access at home. Well, we've yeah. got a defibrillator machine now Have after three <laughs> clients had heart attacks during... I'm not fucking with you. This period's been tough for people. And, I, I, you know, these are very close friends of uh, mine. Is there the one firms. on every floor or just the one? And there's one in each office. We've got to get the... Tra- but they had three of them and one of them had a major heart attack, like major, and there's a 2% chance of survival. But because his, all his staff are ex-army and they've got a small defibrillator and then they found a bigger one in the building, they kept him alive and he survived. And it's extremely rare and I, I was like wow and I was like we just get to fill a machine and we can add it to the list of you're less likely to die of a heart attack if you're working that your wife's gonna husband's gonna be get out the door get to work survive you know I like that one <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsor Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese 
Maury Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight, talking, financial and legal advice since 1935 And this week a big shout out to Sean Veer Singh Who has recorded our stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music Now back to the chat What's the most misunderstood thing about sustainability, would you say? Oh, I mean, there's a lot. It's complex. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I didn't grow up with sustainability. I mean, this is something that we started sort of three years ago and I, my, my learning curve has been, been pretty steep. What did you misunderstand then, perhaps? You know, what did you find most surprising? Just the complexity of it and the trade-offs. Like, it's not linear. So, um, the hardest thing that we do is to provide advice to companies about how they can reduce their impact because by changing one thing, you impact everything else. Yeah. So by changing where you get your organic cotton from or changing it to cotton, that, that has impact on other things as well. So it's the complexity that is, is really difficult. And that's business's job to solve that for consumers. And that's what we've set out to do. So there's the, the trade-off. And it's not just about carbon. I think um, carbon's a nice simple hook, um, but you can make a product that's carbon neutral that impacts deforestation, that is made by slave labor, um, that sort of is made in a, in a water scarce area. So... We need to be looking at it holistically to really understand the full impact. So that's probably the biggest thing for me is just, it's not just about one single thing. We need to have a, an overall view. And that's why we developed such a, a really robust structure to give people real transparency about the impact of products. I, I actually almost, um, I'm going to big ourselves up there, but actually we're on a similar thing. Ultimately, you've got to give an opinion. And, you know, us as a firm, we find, because you don't want, it is complex and that's not really helpful to anyone. You need to make it simple for people. Do you know what I mean? For everyone, the product, everyone, give them all the process to deal with this complexity and make decisions and make calls. And actually, I mean, that's what we are, you know, desperately trying to do in professional services because it's always like, everyone's always like, well, I just got lots of information and I'm even more confused. So it's, it, it, what it comes down to in our world is old school professionalism is you give an opinion. You don't go to the doctor and they say, oh, well, it could be this, could be that. Here's some books. I'll see you next Tuesday. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, I think it's this and this is what the hell we're going to do about it. I might be wrong, you know, and you're, as ultimately your system is a, technological opinion, basically, I guess, you know. And boiling it down to a couple of numbers. Exactly. And we take all that compression. We, we, we collect, you know, 60 plus data points um, it, from the brands and from third-party data sets to come up with this score. Um, but, but it's really complex. But as you say, our job is then to simplify that, both for the brands to make it actionable and for the consumers so they can make better decisions. Because the last thing consumers want is 60 data points to, 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 to wrestle through. It's like, okay, give me, give me the top-line information that I need to know that helps me understand the impact. So I think your, your point, Annie, about making it simple, that's, that's certainly our job. So what's the, um, you know, what is the most important step businesses need to take? I guess not even goods companies, this expands to all businesses to, you know, start transitioning to net zero or start doing something about it. Well, I think the information, isn't it? So as I said, the, the thing is most companies are trying to do the right thing and if they are doing the wrong thing, it's not, mostly it's not through malice, it's just through a lack of understanding. So, the first thing is to, to really understand it. So our, our business is focused on consumer products, so we really um, we focus on understanding the impacts of those. Um, ESG reporting is great for companies to understand their impacts, but the first thing you need to do is, is understand your impacts because you can't change what you can't measure. Firstly, you need you need a baseline, and, and um, whether it's ESG reporting at a company level or, or really specific product level reporting, um, you need to understand your impacts before you can actually start making better decisions. Are you like um, a lot of your clients B Corps? Is that good to you? Does that tick some boxes? 
Yeah, BCOP. And BCOP's obviously um, quite holistic in terms of a lot of governance as well and how you set up the company. It's quite, it's quite rigorous. So, yeah, so we, we're a BCOP pending. But, yeah, a lot of our businesses are. Oh, so you've, you've gone through the BCOP process yourselves? Yep. Yeah, we've gone through the BCOP process ourselves. So, um, so it's, it's rigorous and, and time-consuming, but really worthwhile. And that, and that forced us to think about different things more from a governance point of view and making sure we had the right processes and structures in place. Would you say it's easier to become a B Corp when you're a tech business because there's less, you know, you've got basically less sort of, you know, impact? I don't know if that's strictly true because it's a lot about sort of HR processes as well and having the right the right structures in place. I think that was the thing for us. You know, we're, we're still a small business. We're only about 20, 20 people or so. So, you know, it, and that asks for very detailed plans and, and implementation strategies and, and processes that normally as a, as a startup you probably wouldn't yeah, have. Yeah, you're too small um, to so really be doing all that stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it forces you into it though and it's painful at the time but I think the outcome is, is certainly makes it a stronger business for sure. What's next, I guess? What's most exciting for your organisation next? Changing the world, is, is there anything else, you know? Yeah, well, well I think our ability to democratise sustainability for business and consumers is really exciting. So um, we're getting great traction with, with big brands and small brands. So if you make a consumer product um, or sell a consumer product, um, we, we can help you score that. We've we've been live for seven months in Europe and, we, and we're launching in the US. So we have launched in the US. So that was in January this year. So things have gone pretty well in Europe. We're, we're accelerating pretty quickly into into the US. So the path is pretty exciting for us. Force is strong. It's, it's about sort of going as fast as we can and, and market expansion into the US, which is which is the market I know pretty well, having worked for a lot of American companies, but they're pretty excited about the traction it's getting over there as well. You're in the really nice bit of the journey, aren't you? Because you're in that growing really quickly and seeing what's around the next corner the whole time, rather yeah, than the it's, grind it's, it's, it out point. Yeah, which will come, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, I mean, w- w- what's pleasing is you, you set out with a vision and you and you set to create a product that you think can add value. When, when you're getting feedback from the market that they do value it because they're buying it, that's great validation for the hard work that you put in. Oh, what I like about this is we're trying to find, you know, how do you, oh, sustainability is so complex, what do you need to do about it? Well, look, you haven't got all the answers, but if you've got a good Go to day rise, frankly, and, and get yourself sorted out. If you want to sort your company out, well, maybe use B course. It's not a bad thing, you know. And what in a way we're doing is as a consumer, what do I do? It's like, don't worry about it. We're working on it. You know, we're gonna, you know, get you go and look for places that are working on these problems and source your products and stuff from them, you know, and that's 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 gonna help, you know, that's that's most of it. Yeah. And as I say, we're not about Grading businesses are about supporting them and giving them the tools to get better. So it's not, it's not like you just get a score. It's, and that's maybe some of the issues with eco labels. You either are or you're not. You're fair trade or you're not. Or you're organic or you're not. We're always like, well, we actually give you a really detailed report that says, okay, this is where you are now, but you can get a lot better and here's the path to get there. You should still do your Raspberry Awards, though. It would be quite funny to have your Raspberry of the Year, you know. What's <laughs> this black and de- is in like shit. Like oh, this black and decker sander killed four hundred people. You know. Anyway, do you have a man with a hammer or a woman with a hammer that hits things with hammers? You know, just to check it out. You know. No, we've had it. It all done by. You could have, have a James Bond room with people like this has survived machine guns. You know, and that would be so cool. You could have like different machine guns you tried like, on yeah, it. It just sounds like you just looking to have fun. Yes. Yeah. Well, make it fun for the consumer. Say, I'm looking for something that could survive an AK-47. It's like, well, you want this mug? This mug will survive. You know, a direct nuclear attack. 
but, but I think, but, but I think, yeah, I think you're right. Durability is a big thing. I think um, buy once and buy well. I think we, 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 I think we are starting to move past that disposable culture. Um, to, Jesus, to, you know, What's it? trying to get things with more value. What's it like having? You said you've got twenty staff. Are most of those kind of um, scientists who are looking into these things. What's it like having to manage a load of scientists? Is that quite hard? Yeah, because they're really smart. And, and that's really challenging when you're managing people that are so much smarter than you. Um, yeah, they're, they're passionate and smart and knowledgeable. So, um, but, but really rewarding. I mean, the way, what they've developed and being able to, the complexities and the trade-offs um, and the passion that they have. I mean, these, these, the younger generation, thankfully, are, so they're mostly younger and they have a passion for it and have the skill set. So it's actually, um, it's actually inspiring, to be honest, more than difficult is because they really are solutions-oriented and they really believe as we all do, that what we're doing can make a real difference. Yeah, Christ, if you can't get your workforce pumped up, you're trying to save the planet. If they're like, well, I can't be, but what's the point, boss? It's like, well, we're trying to save the world. Oh, yeah, all right, I'll come in Tuesday then. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And I think the other thing is just that we, we have, our, our brand reflects our culture, which is non-judgmental. We're not trying to make people feel guilty. You know, we, we understand it's difficult. You know, we, we, we're trying to provide a, a, a really meaningful solution for both businesses and consumers. So we're very much a solutions-focused business. So best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think, um, and this is probably not the most inspiring bit of advice, advice but it keeps me, is like no, nothing's ever as good or as bad as it feels in the moment. So the good stuff is great, so enjoy it, but don't get carried away with it because um, a lot of hard work's still to come. But I think as importantly as like when things aren't good and they're shit, you know, there's a, there's another perspective that's just around the corner and things will change. So that's that's always stuck with me. I think try to to keep the emotions down and and focus on on moving forward. Is making sure you don't get swept up in your moment, either positively or negatively. Yeah, because you get I I for one, I will hold my hand up to this. Get immensely stressed about things. You know, if I'm in the middle of selling a company and something goes slightly wrong, and I get really stressed about it, and it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. No, it never, it, it, it never ever is um, with a bit of time and perspective, and, and so the world, the world moves on. I'm, I'm also keeping that the thing you said earlier is a new bit of advice that, or advice, you know, you can't change what you can't measure, is a great line. I'm going to use that yeah, from now on. Well, as accountants, and lawyers, I'm sure that's a big part of what you do. If you can't measure it, then how do you change it? So, and and the whole idea of asking people to change behaviours without giving them the tools is is is, um, is obviously not something that's achievable. So. We're hoping we can help solve that. For some reason, I don't want to pass that advice on to my wife. <laughs> so this just sounds sort of wrong. I feel like it'll be a weapon against me, you know. I don't know where my brain's gone no, on that one. No, well, mine neither, gonna, but like, like, just, um, follow that one up. I don't know, as a man, you just think about these things. Um, <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so top three reads, top three podcasts or, or albums. We can do music, you know, top three anything. Yeah, um, so top three for me, uh, I, I do listen to quite a few podcasts. This is obviously my favourite, but aside from yeah, this one. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. My old boss of mine said, you're always smarter every time you read The Economist. I think that's true. So my, my short my shortcut for that is I do listen to The Economist podcast. I week. didn't even know they had a podcast. I'm an yeah, avid reader. Oh, wow. Actually. And it's what? Do they just read out all their articles, basically? One, one day a week they do. They read their top three articles, but then they have other content that they create as well around that. Fantastic publication. I always like the fact that the Economist has an opinion, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. They don't, they don't pull any punches. So they don't just report. They actually give a point of view, which I like. So that, that's a good one. My, my, the good one for my soul is the Rich Roll podcast, which is um, out of the US, which is a 
Um, he's an ex-banker, actually. Rich Roll. Rich Roll, which is a great name. Yeah, yeah which is a great name. Like, it think. feels like he's made that up. It sounds like a chocolate pudding of some type or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you have to be making a podcast. But he, he's so super grounded and um, we talked about the piece of advice, nothing's ever as good or as bad as you seem. He's got a really great sense of life. What's, what's it about? Or it doesn't have a just... Well, it's, it's, it's about... Um, Spirituality, I guess. Okay. So that's, that's, a, that's probably not the best word because that sounds almost like religious. But it's about just um, being in touch with who you are and being the best version of yourself, um, which is which I find really inspiring. And he's got a great story. He's an ex-athlete, ex-alcoholic. He's gone this massive journey and, and a bit of a guru now. And he has great guests on there. And it's just a really, really great one for the soul to listen to and, 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 and feel good about yourself. Was there one more, or there, is that it on the podcast? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And one, one more is a book. That, a book actually. And this is this is called Humankind: A Hopeful History. And that, that's actually um, this author is a Dutch author, and he looks back at the the, the recent history of humankind, and, and actually does a great job of categorising us as solutions based and and really community minded, and how we actually are, are a force for good. And with all the crap that goes on around us, uh, it was a really great, refreshing read, and, and something that. I think it's a big part of what we're trying to do at Dayrise is we, we do believe in solutions and we do believe that the, the humans can provide that solution. So that was a human kind of hopeful history. Okay, so that brings us to our favourite part of the show, the business versus bullshit quick fire round. DQ the music. This is where we're going to reel off a list of key terms. We've been working on these very hard, yeah? And all you got to do is tell us whether it is business or it's bullshit. One word, that's it. You ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. <clears throat> go, you go. Diversity quotas. Business. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Stand up meetings. Bullshit. Coffee. Bullshit. I like it. You you know you're a mind. You know you you're not you know you're hesitating agendas. Not as in like someone having some political agenda. Agenda a, in a, a meeting. A list of items at a meeting. Import, important business. Hour-long meetings. Bullshit. Too long. Too long. Well, how long was the correct length? Oh, sorry, we're getting into 25 again. minutes. That's so specific. Yeah, if you can't get it done, not, because you need that five minutes to change meetings to get into the next one. 25 oh. minutes, you've got five minutes to go to the next meeting. Okay. Good point. I like that. This one's important, so This is imp- important to one of us. Office dogs. Bullshit. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you very much. Swearing in meetings, dear Australian friend. Well, business, obviously. 100 yeah. fucking percent. Pub lunches. Bullshit. <sighs> well, it depends. I, I, alcohol, okay. when you, I know you're English, but for me, yeah, I can't. It, it's... it's uh, what does Welsh actually, actually, no, no, no. One of the <laughs> only differences between I mean, the Australians are. and the British is we will drink at lunch and the Aussies think that's crazy. They're like... Yeah, I can't. cannot drink at lunch. I can't do it. Well, some of us can. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it either. As soon as I start drinking alcohol, that's it for me. I can't concentrate. As you so get near a 50, you'll find it's harder. <laughs> the B Corps. We like them. Very impressive. NDAs. Yeah. Oh, shit. Correct. We've the actually, lawyer in me just screamed. Actually, we, we've, the general <laughs> consensus appears to be they are bullshit, but they're very useful in business. We, we all use them, but I don't know how much value they actually have at the end of the day, but we, we still do it. I think, they have, they, a, I think they have a moral value, actually, in that they sort of 
make everybody hold their hands up and say we're going to be reasonable about this. Unlimited vacations. Mm. Or holidays, as we like to call them in this country. We need to change this list, producer. <laughs> um, business. I think that works. Yeah, I think, I think Most should... people have said, oh, no one takes holiday then. Have you seen it work in practice? Yeah, so the, the company I work for, which is an American company, which I think Americans are uh, renowned for not taking um, holidays because they um, they felt like it was uh, they were taking something off the clock, like it was it was like a debit they were taking out. As soon as you removed that account side of it, and just it was with your manager when you needed a break, it became more conversational and less less formal. And that mm. and, I, and I saw a lot more people started to take breaks after that. Um, so I think it was certainly it opened up a different side of the conversation that made people feel like it wasn't actually detrimental to their career because it was just a conversation with their manager. Didn't have to go through HR, didn't have to go through the system. Oh, I see. Part of the principle of unlimited vacations, <clears throat> unlimited holidays, sorry, America, is you stop tracking it. You stop thinking so you about d- it. You, you would just get, get approval, approval for your line manager yeah. that you're exhausted or you need one. And you take a break, yeah. But I, I don't like the idea of having to discuss necessarily with your manager every detail of, you know what I mean? Well, you just we'd like going... you to take 10 days, not that 12th day. And then you're like, oh, you know, you know. Um, LinkedIn, do you have LinkedIn in um, Holland? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe they could, they might have forgotten it on the yeah. map or something, you know. It's like, Jesus, uh, called Samuel. We haven't opened up in the Netherlands, you know. <laughs> Anyway. Well, I think it's less of a big thing over here than it used to be. Anyway, do you think it's business uh, or? Yeah, it's business to me. I find it a great source of information um, and, and a way to reach out to people. So, We're all scared um, it's going to become Facebook, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a pretty cynical view on social media generally, particularly with young kids. But for me, mm. um, LinkedIn becomes a, a pretty valuable tool to keep up to date with what's going on. It's funny it's called social media when it's like the most anti-social thing to do when you're with someone, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Formal work clothes, as you are beautifully attired now in a yeah. shirt. Is this important? Ah, uh, bullshit. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure you can call oh, bullshit when you went we and need changed to into a shirt. I don't know. But that's allowed. No, anyway. I think the second question that should say formal work clothes for professionals. That would be doctors, lawyers and accountants. What do you think about that? Do you like going to see your accountant and he's in sweatpants? No, that's true though, isn't it? I think when you're client-facing in that way, the, the goalposts are different for whatever, for whatever reason. So um, I'm not saying it's right, but you, you, you're selling yourself, aren't you, when you're, when you're doing that? So I think that maybe the, the, the lens on that is a little bit different, I agree. I think it's a difficult one because I think I work with a lot of startups and they actually, a lot of them find a lawyer in a kind of three-piece suit quite disconcerting and off-putting because they're in their jeans. So it's really hard to know whether you're just going to scare people. I mean, I pretty much do, but scare people, I mean. I, it's it's a it's a fascinating thing, but um, as dear Hugh, uh, our partner who we lost, um, used to say, you know, a tie covers a multiple of sins, and I think there is some truth to the fact that a little shirt, and it's like your mum coming round, isn't it? And you haven't slept in two days, and you feel like shit. You put a shirt on, she says, "You look good, darling," you know, and it's like yeah. actually you look that like might shit. be just your mum. Yeah, it's probably yeah. just my mum. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry, mum. <clears throat> Excellent. That's the end of the quick fire round. Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, podcast, book, whatever you like. I think company. Off you go. Thanks, Pip. Yeah, so with Dayrise, 
our business is all about um, providing environmental and social transparency for consumer products. So if you're a company out there that makes consumer products or sells them, um, what we can do is, is assess the environmental impact and give you a really detailed report on that that enables you to make better decisions and enables you to actually tell that story to consumers as well. So it's very approachable. It's simple to do. It only costs 60 euros per product to do and it's by far the most robust technical solution that there is on the market. So contact us. We're at Dayrise. Um, with a Z, D-A-Y-R-I-Z-E.io, and we'd love to connect with you. And that's great. And how do we find you if we need to track you down and chat to you? Find me on LinkedIn at Austin Sims, um, which is with two M's, or at uh, Austin at dayrise.com. Brilliant. Okay, so there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Austin for joining us. Thank you to Pippa. And a big thank you to you, dear listener. We'll be back with another episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at BIZ without BS. Until next time, it's ciao.